And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, sharing in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled with civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is hard, it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I have said, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot deny himself. And we're going to stop right there. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord that we have received this word this morning, Lord. And we ask that you would bless the reading of your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us all to have eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that could receive this message this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen. Now, last week, if you weren't here, I'm going to give you just this, a tiny bit of recap of where we left off. When we left off last week, we stopped about verse 4 through 6, and we were talking about being a good soldier in Christ Jesus. We were talking about being uh, an athlete who competes according to the rules. We were talking about how Paul likened us unto good farmers who worked hard. Amen? So our idea here in this whole first section is Paul talking to Timothy as the pastor of the church of Ephesus, as the elder over the church of Ephesus, he's telling Timothy, uh, giving Timothy examples of what faithful service looks like. Amen? He gives him the first example as a soldier. A soldier because a soldier is not out to do his own will to please himself, but he's following the orders of his commander. Amen? And his goal is to please to please his commander, amen? His goal is to make sure that when he's done doing what he was told to do, that his commander here gives him the words that we all long to hear, amen? Well done, thou good and faithful servant, amen? That's his goal. That's the goal of everyone in service is to please those whom they're serving, amen? And we talked about how as Christians, we are we have been bought with a price amen the bible says you are not your own you have been bought with a price therefore glorify god in your body amen why what is he saying he's saying look you're not your own so your goal should not be to please yourself but to please christ 
Amen. And this bears witness in all of Paul's letters. It bears witness in Peter and John's letter. It bears witness in Luke's gospel and Matthew's gospel and the words of Christ written in all four of the gospels. Amen. Our goal should be to live our life for our commander in chief. Amen. Now as Christians also we're to be uh, understanding that we can't just do this by the seat of our pants. Amen. How many of you know Christians who pretty much just live their life like they're flying by the seat of their pants? Okay, we all know somebody like that. How many of you know some non-Christian people who just kind of live life by the seat of their pants? We sure all know them kind of people, amen? Uh, I know I have walked out of that kind of lifestyle living by the seat of my pants, amen? The goal is not to live whatever way I want. My goal is to live the way God wants me to live. That's why Paul gives him this example of an athlete who competes according to the rules. And we talked about last week, this Christian life is not a life that we can just live by our own rules. It's not, you can do it your way, and I can do it my way, and they can do it their way. We all ought to be doing it God's way, because we all have a rule book. Amen? We all, have, we all have God's word, and we know what God expects of us as Christians, as believers, as followers of Christ. So our goal should not be to live according to my rules, but according to God's rules. Amen? Now, not to say this. We're not talking about salvation by works. We're talking about how I live my life after salvation. Amen. We're talking about how I'm how I'm being obedient and submissive to the spirit of God, to the work of Christ in my heart, in my life. It is not talking about being saved. Amen. Because you are saved by grace through faith alone. Amen. That is the only way. Uh, thirdly, we talked about how in it's the hard-working farmer that deserves the first share of the crops. Why would, why would he say that? And I just, as a pastor, okay, and, you know, we got a whole bunch of people missing here, you know. When we, have, when we, when we, when we had our Christmas, our dinner just before we uh, uh, took Christmas break or whatever, we had, you know, like 60 people here. And uh, I was thinking about all those people. Amen. I was thinking about how there's so many people in modern day Christianity that believe that it's all for them and they don't have to have a commitment to do anything. Amen. They, the, the church is here just to help me. I don't have to be committed to helping them. But that's not how being a part of a family works even. You know, we, we, the, the family of God, which we're supposed to be family, amen, not just, uh, that's why he likens us unto brothers and sisters, amen, that's why he likens us unto the household of God, amen, we're, we understand that a family, we're accountable for each other in a family, amen, parents, are you accountable for your children? Later on? Later on, children, I'm looking right at Barbie. Later on, children are accountable for their parents. 
That's the way it's supposed to work. That's the way it should be happening. Amen? That's the goal of Christian service is to model what happens in a godly home. Do you understand? So me as the pastor, I'm not here to be the dictator. I'm not here to be uh, uh, the, oh, everybody looks at the pastor like he's the guy in charge. I'm actually here to serve all of you. Amen. That's my job. Amen. And our job as brothers and sisters in Christ are to be accountable to each other, to be praying for each other, praying with each other, working with each other. Amen. This is the goal. Amen. So when a Christian gets in the habit of thinking that I don't have to be committed or I don't have to be involved, do they not? Then technically, you don't have to be, but it's going to be to your benefit if you are. Because I know too many people that when they stop being involved with the things of God, stop being involved in the local church, the minute that that happens, Almost every time you can see a big turn in how their life is going. You can see a big turn in how they talk. You can see a big turn in how they're living their life, the decisions that they're making, the people that they hang around, the, the ideas that they think are acceptable, the behavior they think is acceptable. All this seems to change once there's no expectation of, uh-oh, my brother and sister might see me. Amen? Now, we used to do that as children, remember? Remember when you were doing something you weren't supposed to do? What was your first thought? Uh-oh, what, is my mom looking? Is my dad there? Right? Or the face you make when they catch you in the middle of doing something you're not supposed to do? Oh! Right? Right, right. Well, see, and we, we've taken that responsibility, we've taken that great check and balance out of the church in modern-day Christianity where a brother could go up to another brother and say, Hey, why are you doing that? What, what's the point? Why are you living that? Why, why can't, can I help you? Can I pray for you? Can I do something? Amen. But now, if you even talk about somebody else's at all, if you go to them and say, hey, man, I know you're doing this, and I really want to help you. I want to know why you're, oh, you ain't supposed to judge me. I'm not judging you. I'm coming because I want to help you. But we don't have, we don't think that our lives are accountable one to another. But I've said this over and over, and I'm going to say it until I die. We are not the body of Christ by ourselves. The body of Christ is everyone doing the, what, how does Paul say it? He said, when every part is fit together, joined together, and doing their part, right? So if the body of Christ starts to become stagnant or stale, and there's no life, and there's no growth, and there's no this, we can probably look at that body and see where there's failings 
in relationships between the different parts doing their job. Amen? Because we have this modern day idea that it's the pastor's job to fill the pews. And it's the pastor's job to do all this other stuff. And then the church members, what they do is they come and listen and that's it. But that's not what we see in scripture. The church member, I'm here to equip the saints to go and do the work of the ministry. Amen? And that's what Paul is encouraging Timothy when he says the hardworking farmer gets the first share of the crops. What he's saying is you need to be dedicated. Amen? You need to be invested. Amen? I always, always find it funny when uh, people want to come to church. I, I remember we had a girl come to church for two or three years. And never became a member, you know, and, and I, I asked her one time, you know, why haven't you joined the church? Well, I don't know if I can handle the commitment. But that's the thing with salvation. We have preached a gospel to people that they believe there's no commitment on their part. And I think that's a failing of modern-day Christianity, that we have preached a gospel that requires nothing of anyone. The reality is, yes, I'm saved by grace through faith alone. I am not saved by anything I do that could not save me. If it was up to me to save myself, I would split hell wide open. Thank God for his grace that saves me, that teaches me, and that keeps me. Amen. But the reality is, when I'm born again, I'm supposed to be a new creature. I'm supposed to have different uh, longings, different desires. I'm supposed to want to please Christ. I'm supposed to, you see what I'm saying? When you plant a seed in the ground, you don't go, man, look at that apple seed when it's grown, do you? You say, look at that apple tree. Why? Because it changed. Still an apple. It's still the same thing. It's just changed and grown. Okay? The difference is when people get saved, you ought to be able to have a time in your life where you're just a seed. That's true. You're a baby in Christ. But you also ought to be, I also ought to be able to look at your life at some point and see where that seed sprouted where it grew up a little bit, where it started blooming leaves, when it got big enough to start putting fruit on the tree. Come on. This is all natural things that Jesus talked about. He said every good tree that bears good fruit will be pruned, and every bad tree that doesn't bear, bad, that doesn't bear any fruit is going to be cut down. Right? Why would he say that? He's trying to tell you that he has an expectation for you not to just receive faith, not just to believe in him, but to grow and live your life for him and him to see fruit. Amen? Paul echoes this. The fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Amen? These are the fruits of having the Spirit in my life. This is the fruits of salvation. Amen. 
So Paul is again echoing these same sentiments while he's talking to Timothy here. And I wanted to start right here with this one little uh, snippet of a devotion that I found on this verse from verse 3 and 4. He says, a good soldier, this is R.C. Sproul, he said, a good soldier of Christ Jesus, readiness, a good soldier of Christ Jesus has a readiness to suffer, loyalty, and a single-minded commitment to please one's commander are demanded of Christ's soldiers. For Paul, use, Paul uses other examples of military metaphors for a Christian life. And we could go through all those, but it's the same thing. Paul uses military metaphors several different instances because of the people he's writing to. He talks to the Romans this way. He talks to uh, the Ephesians that way. Put on the whole armor of God. Amen. Come on. This is not nothing new. Paul uses these quite frequently. And in reading that, I thought, man, that's exactly what we were talking about last week. And I wanted to pick right back up there because our job is to be committed followers of Christ. Amen. Not just committed to uh, believing in Christ, but committed in sharing Christ, committing in living and, and loving and serving other believers, serving with them, serving them, serving alongside them. Amen. That's the goal. We've seen it in the early church. You know, nowadays we have three services a week. Back then they met every day. But we, we think, hold on, I'm going to get real serious real quick. Hold on, I need, I need some coffee for this, okay? I need some coffee for this. I read a poll, and my friend Caleb Gordon, who pastors, uh, First Baptist Church in Cedarville, Kansas, he uh, made mention of this poll, and I looked it up. They did a poll on American churchgoers. You realize that the average American churchgoer goes to church once a month? That's average, okay? Once a month. Now, and that person thinks they're committed, okay? But then you open the Bible and you see where they met and prayed every day and broke bread in their houses every day. And then we go, I have to look at myself and go, am I really committed? Because even as much as I'm in church, and I'm here three days a week, three services a week, Right? The reality is, I don't even meet that criteria. You understand? And I think we've lulled ourselves into a false sense of commitment where Paul would probably be writing, if Paul wrote a letter to the church of Coffeeville, if Paul was alive to write a church to the or letter to the church of Coffeeville. It may sound very similar to the Hebrew letter that said, Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, as is the custom of, uh, as is the manner of some, but all the much more as you see the day approach. Amen? 
we're, we're living in a day and an age of Christianity where it seems to be that people in the church want to do less and less while the world is growing worse and worse. And then we wonder why the world is growing worse and worse. Maybe it's because we're doing less. Maybe it's because we're not doing what we should be doing. Maybe it's because we're not doing enough. Amen? And I'm telling you as the person that, you know, your pastor, the, the, the elder at your church should be the most faithful person at your church. Okay? That's, that's a non-negotiable. Okay? If there's people more uh, uh, devout more faithful than the person preaching, they probably ought to pastor the church. Amen? The reality is the elder should be the most committed person at the church. That doesn't take away from the commitment of other people, though. Amen? We need to understand that we should be committed, too. Amen? I remember, you know, when I first got called to preach and I first started preaching the little Baptist church just north of town, Central Baptist Church, and I was at church every time the doors were open, okay? It could have been an old lady's potluck luncheon, and I would show up anyway, okay? <coughs> Not really. I never showed up for no lady's potluck. But I was there any time that they would let me be at church, I was there, okay? And I remember growing up in a church where people could not wait for the next church service. They couldn't. They anticipated Singspiration at the last Sunday night of the month. We anticipated coming to church on a Sunday night and just singing and singing and singing. Amen. Maybe we need to bring Singspiration back. I ain't no good at it, but we could do it. I know Brian would love some Singspiration. We just get up there and sing songs, and I'm telling you, we need more church. We need more time together, not less time. Because the world's winning, okay? The world's winning as far as what it looks like on the outside, amen? We need to understand as we come together, we're building each other up. We're readying each other for the fight that's ahead of us, amen? And we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. So I just started asking myself that question when I read this portion of scripture about faithfulness and I started thinking about how the disciples and the early church met every day and I was like getting convicted in my own skin going man we only have church two days a week for three services and we think we're doing something amen how many of you have gotten into the point where you thought man I was at church every day this month every Sunday this month I felt pretty good about that and I felt pretty good about it too, okay? Until I read this verse and realized maybe I'm not as committed as I thought I was. Amen? It's okay to challenge yourself. It's okay to be challenged by the Word of God. Amen? Now, verse 7, Paul says this. He says, think on these things, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, I think this verse... Is probably the most mis. Uh, well, let me let me find the words to say it. This verse is not one that people pay attention to, right? They're like, think on these things, for the Lord will give you understanding. Yep, move on to the next verse, Pastor. Right? Just kind of overlook this verse. But the reality 
is I don't think that people meditate on God's word enough to let God give them some understanding about what's being said. I think we need to read God's word and let it sink in. Think on it. Meditate on it. Amen. There's a reason that he told the Israelites, write it on the doorpost of your house. Write it on your wall. Write it on your gate. Write it on the, he said, make it frontlets, frontlets to your eyelids. Amen. There's a reason he told them to make God's word visible all the time to why? To remind them to that they would meditate on it, that they would think on God's word, that they would ponder it, that they would chew on it, that they would digest it and not just get the milk of the word, but the meat of the word and really dive into it and say, what is he saying right there? Amen? I think we need more of that. I think we need more people growing. Is that really what it means, Pastor? I need more Gregs and Brats. Amen? Say, what does it say right there? Amen? We need more of that. I need Shelly's that message me out of the blue and say, hey, what's this verse mean? <laughs> we need that. Amen? We do need that. Because some of us, we get so complacent about God's word. And even if you've got a reading program, and if you don't have a daily Bible reading uh, habit, maybe you ought to develop one. And But if you do... You're going to find the same thing I find sometimes when me and the kids read. We read every morning. And we get up and read, and there's mornings where it's like, man, this is really great. And then there's mornings like, man, did we have to read all those names? <laughs> you, ever read, you ever read through uh, the book of Numbers? Okay, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. I, I, in my daily Bible reading plan, I dread when I get back to numbers, okay? And I don't mean that in a bad way, but so-and-so begot so-and-so that I can't pronounce so-and-so is just sometimes way too much, amen? But then, when I'm reading it, I go, hold on, I know that name. Hold on, I know that name. And then there's names in there I forgot that were there. You know, Rahab and all them, you know? You get to reading through there and go, man, I forgot they were in that lineage. And then you go, hold on, this is Jesus' lineage. Amen? So all scripture is God-breathed. Amen? So if you don't have a daily Bible reading plan, you might get one. But you might have some dry seasons where you're going to run over some stuff that you're going to have to ponder. And you're going to say, why am I thinking about this verse? It don't mean anything. I need to move on to the next one. But they all mean something. Amen? They all mean something. Finally, we're going to finish this up this week. <laughs> we're going to finish this section up. He says, remember Christ Jesus risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. Now, this part for me is definitely something that you need to be reminded of in your Christian walk because sometimes because we don't have a physical Jesus to touch. We don't have a physical Jesus to talk to. We don't have a physical Jesus to go and hug or lean our head on when we're crying and hurt. Sometimes our physical bodies start getting complacent thinking that this is just a story, you know, that we just start chalking it up to history and we don't really 
conceive of Jesus Christ risen from the dead right now sitting at the right hand of God the Father ever living to intercede for us ever living to make uh, intercession for us amen we, we forget this Jesus that we worship is high and lifted up and given a name above every other name amen he has been all power in heaven and earth has been given to him amen you understand that the Jesus that died was glorified. Amen. This same Jesus is not coming back like the meek, mild lamb that he came the first time. Amen. If you go read Revelation, you see a conquering king setting on, setting on a horse. says that his countenance is like lightning and he has a white robe on that's so bright you can't even, it's, it, you can't even hardly look at it. He has a uh, uh, white hair and flames of fire in his eyes and a sword shooting out of his mouth. Has a name written on his thigh that says King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's who's coming back. Amen. This Jesus that we forget sometimes. We, you know, we, we like all the new fancy songs about Jesus being my friend and Holy Spirit come and you know, we got these songs about calling fire. Lord, let the fire fall. You better not. Look, I'm, I just want to stop you. If you're one of the people that sing about the fire falling, you better quit, okay? Because there's only a couple times in Scripture where fire fell, and it was bad. It wasn't a good thing, okay? There wasn't fire that fell from heaven on the day of Pentecost. There was cloven tongues that looked like fire that rested on each of them, okay? Let's understand that there was a singular moment there for a specific thing. You call it fire down from heaven, you're going to be in trouble, okay? What did James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they said, Lord, should we call fire down? And he said, you don't even know what you're asking, right? You don't even know what you're asking. Don't ask that. Yeah, fire came down from heaven at Sodom and Gomorrah, Amen. We got these songs, though. We get all, we get, we get to thinking about Jesus as my best friend, and we get to thinking about Jesus as my, 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 my suffering Savior. But we also got to remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, Amen. Because the resurrection of Christ was Him being glorified to a whole new level of he, he Him taking back the glory that he had before he came in the first place. Amen. He laid that down to come down here to suffer, to live. What does it say? He's a high priest that is acquainted with our sorrow. Right? Because he's been tempted in every way likened unto us. Yet without sin. Amen. He did that. And then he took back up his glory. Amen. You got to understand. Jesus Christ raised from the dead. And then he says something else. He says, the offspring of David. What is, why is he bringing that up? This is him showing these people that Jesus fulfilled all the promises that God made to his servant David. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Amen? Jesus is from the lineage in the line of David because he had to be. Amen. Why is this important for us as Christians? Why, why, why is he telling Christians about Jesus being 
fulfill it. Look, if God kept his promise to David, how many, how many thousand years were between David and Jesus? How much? I think it might have been more like 1,000, but the realities that God kept his promise to David even that far down the line should bear witness to you that when God makes a promise, he definitely intends to keep it. And if he who promised to save you is faithful, then you can be assured of your salvation. Amen? So he's not just encouraging him to think of Jesus as resurrected. Number one, our salvations hinge upon the resurrection of Christ. Amen? Number two, our salvation hinges upon the promises of God being absolutely true. Amen? Lastly, I want to finish with this. He said, he says, as preached in my gospel. This is the reality that we have to get back to. Okay, everybody hold your head up here and look at me real quick. We have to get back to the gospel. We got to get away from all this Jesus wants to make you rich stuff. It's a lie. Want to get away from all this Jesus is going to make everything in your life go perfect. And you're never going to have a cold. That's a lie. Okay, that's not true. It's not the gospel. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And I'm one of them. Amen. That's the gospel. The gospel message is about the salvation of my soul. It's about my eternal destiny. It's about God choosing to come down here and turn Kevin from a dead, lifeless sinner into a living, breathing child of God who knows him and loves him. That's the gospel. Amen. We need to get back to it. Jesus is the gospel. What Jesus did is the gospel. What Jesus did for us is the gospel. All this other stuff is not the gospel. And we need to get back to the gospel. Amen? Finally, he says this. For which I am suffering, bound in chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Notice that Paul was suffering for Christ, which was his admonishment at the beginning of this. He told Timothy to suffer as a good soldier. Amen. He told Timothy, suffer as a good soldier. Paul's not telling Timothy to do something that Paul wasn't already doing. Amen. Paul was already suffering. He was in jail, chained up while he's writing this letter. Amen? So my, my advice is listen to people who are already going through some suffering and ignore all them other people who pretend like nothing bad ever happens in their life, okay? Because it's nonsense. I remember a pastor friend of mine got up at a pulpit one day and was telling everybody, that he and his wife had never had a crossword in 37 years being married. And I just said, Lord, forgive them. Because I know. I've, look, I've only been married for 16 years. 
And I'm telling you right now, the first two and a half, three years of our marriage probably could have been on TV. Jerry Springer, you know, uh, cops, <laughs> whatever you want to, whatever, whatever show you can think of that would have really, really hard things going on in it, okay? We would have lived right in that, okay? Carmen and I had those first two or three years, man. I called Brother Wright, who was our pastor that married us, and I called him and I said, Brother Wright, I don't know what to do. All she wants to do is fight, argue, fuss. And, and uh, I didn't get very much consolation from Brother Wright on this. He said, well, Brother Kevin, she's young, and young people like to fight. <laughs> that was all I got told, okay? That was my admonishment from Brother Wright. But the reality is, I was different because of the gospel, amen? Find somebody that's going to be real with you about their life. Because I can't be close to you and you not know anything about you, amen? To this day, I still don't know where that pastor lives at, okay? Never saw his house, couldn't tell you what street it was on, Okay? Reality is we're making idols of people rather than following Christ. Amen. You're not following me. You're following Christ. If you're following me, you're following the wrong person. You only follow me as far as you see me living by this book. Everything else you forget. You okay? He's like, oh, no, Pastor, that beard's got to go. <laughs> Carmen, might, Carmen might, it might be getting too long for her now. I might have, to, might have to trim it down. Lastly, he says this, and I will be closing on this one. I know this is my third one, okay? He says, therefore, I endure everything for the elect's sake that they might also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Now, whatever you believe about election, okay? Now, there's two schools of thought on election for the most part. One school of thought on election is God knows everything that's going to happen and knows who's going to say yes and knows who's going to say no. That's one school of thought on election. The other school of thought on election is God not only does he know, but he chooses whom he wants. Okay, that's another, that's another view of election, okay? What we can't do is take election out of the Bible. Because if I showed you how many times the word elect, election shows up in the Bible, you'd be astounded, okay? So we can't take the doctrine of election out. What I'm telling you is this, no matter what doctrine, no matter what side of election you fall in on, whether God knows who is going to free will choose him or whoever God chooses, however you view it, the reality is this. If you believe that election is dependent upon personal choice, or if you believe that election is on God's choice, the reality is none of us know who any of those people are. So when I preach the gospel, I preach the gospel to everyone. And I preach the gospel as whosoever will. 
because I don't know whosoever will. I don't know whosoever will come. I don't know whosoever God will choose. Whichever way you're falling on election, okay? Because the doctrine of election cannot be disputed that it's in the Bible. It's whether you believe it's more free will choice or whether you believe it's God's choice, okay? That's how it, that's how it boils down. But the reality is either way you look at it, none of us know who it is. So Paul said, I'm suffering for the elect's sake. Why did he say I'm suffering for the elect's sake? Because I don't know who's watching me. I don't know who's listening. I don't know who it is that I have to reach. So I'm going to preach. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to proclaim Christ so that by any means... Those who will choose or those who God's choosing will hear the gospel. Because there's one thing for certain. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. Amen. God uses the gospel. Well, look, here's, here's the thing with election. If you believe election is on free will, you still have to hear the gospel and be saved. If election is dependent on God, here's what I do know. God chooses to send preachers to preach the gospel that those whom he has chosen will respond. Do you understand? So there's really, you're splitting hairs on the doctrine of election. Because I know this one thing to be factual. No man comes to the Father except through the Son. And no one comes to the Son except the Father draws them. That's scripture. So we see two things happening. And both of them are true. Amen? We can't get to the Father except through Christ. And I cannot get to Christ without the Father drawing to Christ. Amen? So Paul, in this admonition here, at the, at the last here, he's saying, I'm suffering for the elect's sake so that they might obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. He's saying this because he doesn't know who the elect are. No more than you do, no more than I do. Amen? And no matter how you look at election, whether it's free choice or God's choice, the gospel still has to be preached. Amen? And we need to preach it to everyone. That's why he told the disciples. He didn't... Can I, can, I, can I get a little crazy for a second? He did not look at the disciples in Matthew chapter 28 and say, go out into all the world and preach the gospel to the elect. He said, go out into all the world and preach the gospel. Our job is to preach the gospel. God does everything else. God saves. God convicts of sin. God does all that. Our job is to be living witnesses. Our job is to proclaim Christ vocally and through our life. Amen? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, the love you bear one for another. Amen? What's the two greatest commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? Let's understand. Paul in this first section of, of 2 Timothy, when he's talking to Timothy about being a good soldier and suffering for Christ, he's trying to tell him so that 
Timothy can live a life that's an example that will reach those whom God would save. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you, Lord, for your grace. Lord, for your mercy that is poured out on us. Lord, we thank you for your election, God. We thank you, Lord, that you save us, that you sanctify us and redeem us. Lord, I thank you that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to all that believe. Lord, and I thank you that in Romans 10 and 13, you said, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Lord, we thank you for that this morning. And we ask that you would help us to understand our part, our role in living and preaching and, and, and sharing the gospel with a lost and dying world. Lord, we pray that you would use us, that you would let our lives be used for your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen and amen.